It's good to hear testimonies, what God does on a week-to-week basis here at Northwest. We're excited for what He's going to do and continue to do. I just felt the Lord kind of put on my heart to do that. He didn't know I was going to do that this morning, but um, I may be calling you out next, so you better be careful, all right? So if you begin to, to see the Lord moving in your life, don't worry. I'll be calling you out in the middle of service. No, I won't do that. Just to Alan. But uh, we're continuing our series on the book of Ezra. Revive us again that your people might rejoice in you. What a word. What a statement right there. It's actually from the Psalms. And we're talking about the restoration of worship of God's people. Again, the the temple has been destroyed and and God is rebuilding this place of worship so that his people might rejoice in their great God. He told the people through the mouth of Jeremiah that they would be in exile for 70 years and God raises up Daniel to influence the kings of his time, and God stirs up this pagan king Cyrus, the king of Persia, to send his people back to restore the temple and the city here in Ezra. At that time, they come. It's a bit different than it was the first time that they go to the promised land. About uh, chapter 2 tells us that there's about 50,000 of them returning to the city of Jerusalem the first time that they leave Egypt. There's about 2.4 million. But this remnant, God has stirred in their hearts that they must return to restore the worship that is due to Him. And this is God's story of His rebuilding of God's people so that He can send the Messiah, the one to come, right? And this is rebuilt. So why don't you turn with me to Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. It's on page 390 in the book in front of you. It's after 2 Chronicles, before the Psalms. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word as we read from Ezra chapter 3, verse number 1. When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua the son of Josadak, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel the son of Shittiel, with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. Let's pray before we get started. Father God, we thank you for what you're doing, Father, here at Northwest, what you're doing all over the world, what what you did in the days of Ezra. Father, we pray that you do it again. As you call people to worship you, that you restore 
them back into fellowship with you. Father, we ask that, Father, we would be people that respond first in our worship unto you. In everything, Father, that we do, Father, we pray that our worship would be fully devoted and our priority, Father. Help us to overflow out of our worship unto this great, mighty God. Father, we thank you and praise you that you convict, that you restore, that you bring peace, that you bring joy. Father, we pray that this morning that your word would speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Valentine's Day, I got a Valentine's Day card from my kids. Some of you guys may have gotten a Valentine's Day card. I hope you did. And um, this card was a little bit different. I knew that it was different because of the size of the card, right? And I knew that it was different because of the thickness of the card. You can't see it, but it's pretty thick. And I was wondering to myself, what is this going to be about? Well, it's pretty interesting. It's probably one of the more theologically sound cards, and I'll explain that in a minute. Because on the cover, it says, bacon is awesome, right? I mean, that is pretty cool on the cover, if you can't see that. It says, bacon is is awesome. Then it instructs you to pull up, okay? So that's not the end. It doesn't just say bacon is awesome. It instructs you to pull up. And you probably can't hear that, but it is singing, I really love bacon. I love you more than bacon but I really love bacon. You get my knees a shaking. I just want to say you're all I want this Valentine's Day. Pretty theologically sound, correct? I think that what it's saying is that sometimes we get confused with, well, I really love the songs that we sing in the church, or I really love the pastor. I really love the preaching. I love, I love the building we worship in. I love the fellowship of the people in church. I love my small group class. I really love serving in my area of ministry. All bacon-like things, all that are good and we should like them. But don't forget your love for God and your, your love for God is more important than any of those things. Your worship of God Himself is that which gives us joy so that we can enjoy all the good things in this life. I believe this is the statement that, that Joshua or Jeshua, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the governor, are making as they return to build God's temple. Before they build the temple, what do they do? They restore worship and they reshape the people's hearts toward their love for God. Sometimes it takes a wake-up call in our life, doesn't it? To realize how much we do love our God. Some of the greatest times in my life with the Lord have been some of the hardest times in my life. And sometimes we can get distracted as the, the, body, the, the body of Christ, the church, 
from what we are actually doing. May, may we not become so in love with the bacon that we miss out on the greatness of our God who created the bacon. The beginning of rebuilding anything in our life, whether it be our marriage, our finances, our family, our business, our reputation, the, fa- the foundation must be built upon the worship of the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Psalm 127.1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And let me tell you something, when you're in worship for the Lord, and when you're praising His name and giving Him honor and glory, guess what? He's building the house. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one working in and through you in whatever you are doing. May God build your life. May God build this church through the worship of Him. Verse 1, let's look at it together. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. I think that it's interesting here that the Scripture describes the gathering of God's people as one man. I think we get our first point from here this morning. God's people gather together as one body. God's people gather together here as one body. That's our first point. God's people gather together as one body. You see, this is an interesting concept. Gathering together as one man for worship. I want you to see this as God is designing this, as He desires for us. We know Hebrews 10.24 that we are to not neglect the meeting together to encourage one another. This is what God desires. They, they all leave the confines of their home to gather for worship. And guess what they do in the worship? They, they also recall and remember what God has done. They, they establish these, these, reestablish these festivals to remember what God has done. We'll get there in a minute. And I think of this one man concept, and I think of the, the unity of the body of Christ, all connected through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, in which he says in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any sense. It would not make any less, it less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And then He goes on to say, 
that there may he has presented these parts that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another if one member suffers all suffer together if one member is honored all rejoice together now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it and so you see what's happening here in Ezra, in Ezra as they are gathering together to worship, to rejoice in the Lord together. Here you see different functions and roles of the body, the ear, the eye, the hands, the feet, and all are important. Each individual member is just as important as the other and yet the body is unified as one body under Christ you see in the church we must encourage one another in the role that God has given to us through his Holy Spirit you see everyone is different but yet essential to accomplish the task for which God has given to us. Now, Paul uses the example of the body, and Ezra here writes of the example as one man. And let me tell you, this is a really great example, because um, each is attached, and each have different functions, and they're all important. Now, if I was a uh, construction man, which I'm not, and you guys know that, but if I was gifted in that area, I wouldn't hit a hammer and hit my hand. But I'm not. And so when I am hammering a nail, guess what happens? I will hit my hand. And guess what happens? My finger, even if it's the middle finger, the bad finger, it's okay. But even if it is a finger, it will tell my brain, look, you need to tell everybody that you are in pain right and so the mouth will respond to the finger and say well something hopefully that is Christ honoring but hopefully something that is ouch or loudly proclaiming that my hand is hurt and the and the ear will hear the mouth and go yes the hand is hurt and guess what happens when that happens the other hand will come and console the finger and begin rubbing the finger and making sure that everything is okay. This is how it is meant to be in the body of Christ. When one person suffers, they all suffer. When one person praises, they praise the Lord and rejoice together. The church is made up of different people, different gifts, and yet the church must be one. And guess what, Northwest, if we are to accomplish the work of God, we must be united under the banner of worship under the one true God and the exaltation of Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit within us. Or we will never be able to accomplish the mission that God has for us. So when he says we gathered as one man, it was more than just gathering together. It was gathering together with a unified purpose. Encouraging one another in the spirit of the bond of peace. We need one another. 
So they gather as one man to Jerusalem. Then verse 2, Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the people of the land, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Now, the people are, are scared, right? They haven't been here for 70 years. There's people that have propped up and, and, and now live in this, in this place, and they do not want the people of God to come back and restore the city of Jerusalem and what do they do? They set up the altar for worship. This is our point number two this morning. God's people make worship the priority. God's people make worship the priority. You know what? There's a lot of things that the people could be doing at this time. There's a lot of things that we could be doing at this time in our life. Guess what? They could have said, you know what? We're going to set up an army to protect ourselves. Maybe they, they could have said, maybe we should build up walls first. Maybe we need to protect our homes. Maybe we should go and build the temple before we worship. But they build an altar and offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You see, they, they literally seek God in worship. You see, the Old Testament system of sacrifice was the way to be made right before God. It was literally placing an innocent animal in your place as a sinner as a way to demonstrate a covering or a sacrifice for your sin. The Hebrew word burnt offering actually means to ascend, literally to go up in smoke. You see, the smoke from the sacrifice of the animal ascended to God, a soothing aroma to the Lord. The burnt offering was an acknowledgement of our sin, of one's sin. Not just his sin, but that he is a sinner and requests to have a, a right relationship with God. This is the Old Testament picture that's pointing us to Christ, the ultimate Lamb of God who was slain for sin. But God would, would want these sacrifices as this picture of God covering their sin. You notice the, the text says that they're offering these sacrifices morning and evening. It's, it's a constant Always trying to, to sacrifice. Always trying to be made righteous. Always working and striving under the Old Testament law. And yet God in His grace is pointing us to the cross of Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. You see, these sacrifices are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Christ dies as the ultimate sacrifice in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. For Christ also suffered once 
for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's why we don't offer sacrifices anymore. It's because Christ was the sacrifice. As Kyle said earlier, we are not righteous on our own, but God gives us the righteousness of Christ when we put our faith and trust in him. So how do we relate this to worship today? I mean, how, really, really, how do, how do we relate this Old Testament sacrifices and Ezra coming to worship and, and the people, Zerubbabel, and, and the, these people coming to worship today? And, and I find it the exact same thing in which they're doing in the Old Testament. They're, we, as the people of God today, reflect upon the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We reflect the gospel into our minds and into our hearts. This is what we do as the community of believers when we worship. Kyle told me the other day, he said, you know what, when we preach the gospel in the songs, when we sing songs about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the goodness and the grace of God, people sing. It's a response to the gospel. We do the same thing in baptism. When we see the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection in Christ, the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the cross and how great God's salvation is through Jesus. And this picture stirs us up towards response to the gospel with actions and work. 1 Peter 2.5 says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, that's what God does. He responds. He gives us the gospel in our hearts, in our mind. He opens our heart to that, and we respond in work for Him, spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Our, our life is a, nothing more than a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. And guess what that does? And guess what that does here in the text? After they begin to see the gospel in their sacrifices, after they begin to see the grace of God and the sacrificial system, what happens? And after that, the regular burnt offerings, verse 5, the offerings at the new moon and the appointed feast of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. What, look, you missed verse 4, Rob. Why did you do that? I don't know. But verse 4, and they kept the feast of booze as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the, of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid, so they gave money to the masons, to the carpenters, and the food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrenians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from Cyrus 
king of Persia. And then they began to build the house of God. So what is the response? How does it operate? It operates in which they're invested in worship. They're responding to the gospel. They're praising the name of God for his great salvation. They're understanding their sin. And then what did they do? They, they put together festivals to remember what God has done. And then they began to give freely. And then they began to put in order what they needed to do to fulfill the work of God. They begin to work on the temple. Verse 10 and 11. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest and their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. This is our third point this morning. So they begin the work. And then after the foundation is laid, after they see the work, which we just saw from Alan a moment ago, they responsively praise their God. This is point number three. God's people respond to the work of the Lord with thanksgiving, with praise. So it begins with a heart of worship. God transforms their heart. They begin to do the work that God has for them. And then they respond to the work of the Lord with thanksgiving, with celebration, with, thank, with thankfulness. Notice my point here as it's on the screen. It is the work of the Lord, not the work of man. Rather, it is the Lord who is raising up these men to accomplish His will. One of the prophets during this time, his name is Zechariah. I love this guy. Why? Because all he does is encourage the people during this time. He's the, the great encourager. Hey man, God is using you. Keep pushing forward. That's basically what he tells Israel at this time. And this is what he says to Zerubbabel, the, government, the governor at the time. He says this to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4, 6. But then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Then he says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That the picture of, in my mind of God proclaiming through the mouth of Zechariah, Zerubbabel, you're going to finish the temple. And we'll get to this next week when they start to face all this persecution. They start to face all these, these failures and the people begin to grumble and all these things are happening, all that they cannot control. And Zechariah is saying, you're going to finish the temple. Why? Not by your might, not by your power, but by my spirit inside of you. I'm going to work in you, Zerubbabel. But that picture of, 
of Zerubbabel taking the top stone and placing it on the temple. And it says, it says, amid shouts of grace, grace to it. You see, we, we, we don't do anything outside of the grace of God. In our church, in our own life, anything that we accomplish is because of His grace and His mercy. And so when Zerubbabel gets to the end, and we'll get there in this, in this, in this book, he's reminded of this prophecy. It is all because of God's grace that this temple, this restoration is happening. The people of Israel and ourselves, we don't deserve for God to move. And yet, in God's grace, He desires to do a work in and through us. And we give thanks to Him when He does. This is what they do. They praise God. And they give thanks that the foundation has been built. What do they do? They break out the bands. They bring cymbals and trumpets and they sing responsively, praising God, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever towards Northwest, towards His people. They sing responsibly. And then what do they do? And after this, in verse 11, and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. When's the last time you shouted in the house of the Lord? Some lady was shouting back there last week, right? I don't know if she's here this week. She's not amening me. Or maybe the sermon's just not as good. I'm not sure. When's the last time you praised the name of God with shouting? I was at a basketball game last night and there was some shouting going on. You're so excited about your God. Begin to shout and praise the Lord. God is good! Amen? Amen. Steadfast love endures forever. Woke somebody up there. So verse 12. This is interesting. This, this is a... We're almost done. This is a big picture right here. But many of the priests and Levites and head of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people weeping for the, the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. So you have this picture of some of the, the older men, the elders of the God's people weeping that the foundation has been laid and you have others that are shouting and rejoicing. Really, this is how it should be 
us. This is how it should be in our life. We, we rejoice at the temporary things that God does and the great things that God does, but we also long for the future where we won't have this pain and suffering. We won't see all these things around us that are wicked and evil. We see in the news that we see in our lives. We see all this wickedness and all these things and we just long to be in the presence of God made new and don't have these bodies, these hurts and these feelings. It doesn't tell us in the text why the old men were crying. Wait, I need to give you the point first. The point is this. God's people look forward to being in the presence of God for eternity. God's people look forward to being in the presence of God for eternity. It doesn't tell us why the old men were crying. Maybe they were remorseful of their sin. And, and that's okay too. They remembered the, the former temple. And it could be that, that this temple was so much smaller than Solomon's temple. It felt like uh, it, it was just not the same. And that, and that could be. I think the main reason that they wept because the glory of the Lord had left the temple. Ezekiel 10 recounts it as the glory of the Lord leaving God's temple. The Ark of the Covenant is not mentioned in this text. And thus the, the picture of God's presence throughout the Old Testament is not mentioned. They build the Ark of the Old Covenant as God dwells in the presence between the cherubims and the ark and the tabernacle and they take it all around the wilderness and then they build the temple and they place it in the Holy of Holies and it's not mentioned. Will God dwell with His people again? Some 450 years later, Jesus walks into that temple. God comes and fills the temple with His glory through the person of Christ. You see, something happened on the cross which we must understand. The veil that separates the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, was torn in two. Now there is access to God through the death of Christ on the cross because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, eternal life. You see, the elder men looked forward to the promises of God. They looked backward to their own failures and yet forward to the promises of God that the ultimate fulfillment of these promises, just in the same way that we look forward through the pain and disappointments of the, this world to the glory of heaven. It is a, a longing to be in the presence of the Shekinah glory that we long for. And one day we will walk with God as Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden for all eternity. Revelation 21.3, I'll close with this. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death 
shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God is making all things new. He's doing that with a picture here of the temple. He's doing that with the cross and resurrecting from the dead. He's making all things new. So the point of this, this really text is when you rebuild, which you will in your life, at some point in your life, you elders can testify. At some point in your life, you will rebuild your marriage, your life, your relationships, your work, whatever it may be. Build it in worship. Start and begin with a heart that loves God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that... Um, you are a God that loves us, that offers us grace, even when we're undeserving. And Father, may we learn from your people that have sinned and fallen short that we need Christ. We need the presence of God in our lives. And Father, if we have grieved the Holy Spirit in our life, Father, in our church corporately or in our church individually, Father, we confess our sin to you this morning. We confess our need to return to a heart of worship. Not all these outside things, not the things that entice us in the world, but Father, we need to return and worship You alone. Father, give us more of Your presence. Help us to have a desire for You as we worship. Father, help us to set up the altar in our own hearts, in our own minds that reminds us of the gospel and the grace of God daily. That We may not forget what you have done in your goodness and your grace and our sin and our brokenness. Father, as we worship you this morning, as Kyle is going to lead us in worship, we ask, Father that our hearts would be fully engaged in what you want us to do in your work, what you have for us next, and that you would empower men and women of God in this church by your Spirit to do what you have called us to do. Not by might, not by power, but by your Spirit. Lord. May we be people that respond. Father God, if there's anyone in this room this morning that doesn't know you, that needs to repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ, may they do that this morning. May they respond to the gospel in faith in Jesus Christ.